passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. And welcome, everybody, to Rewind a Dynamite. My name is Wei Ting. Uh, John seems to be having some technical issues with his internet. Very last minute here towards the end of the main event. So uh, he's probably not going to be a part of this show, unfortunately. But stepping in literally at the very last second on super short notice is, from Shot in the Dark, John Ceno. John, hey. how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah, I got the hot tag at the very last second. Luckily, I was just sending like the report to John, and I got the message, and I was like, "I'm already at the computer. Let's let's go." Yeah, uh, you know, I think we are already starting to wonder if it, we made a good decision to s- decide to start these shows five minutes after they end. And uh, this week, I think was especially uh, testing of of our new uh, start times here. But thankfully, you are always on call. You know, you're a man who watches everything. And and of course, you do the reports on the site for us. So thank you so much for uh, stepping in while John deals with his uh, Internet issues. Very come on. Come on, Internet. You know, like what pick pick like seven o'clock on a Thursday you know, pick a Sunday 2 p.m. slot to go down. To go down at 9.45 on a Wednesday is is really just just the worst. Well, is there, like, some sort of storm going on in Toronto? Because, like, while I was watching, I was having a couple, like, blackout moments while watching Dynamite. And then I think Brayden or told me that there was, like, some issue with the storm in Toronto or something. There is. There is. So okay. that's probably what's to blame. But, uh, you know, if, if I somehow drop out in the middle of all this, then you know exactly what the reason might be, eh? Gotcha. So, there you go. Uh, but we are here, of course, to talk about AEW Dynamite. Uh, so, you know, I haven't really spoken to you at all about, you know, AEW thus far. Um, you know, thoughts on on the product uh, in, in, since we last spoke to you? Yeah, I mean, I've been enjoying it, honestly. Um, last couple, like, I think two weeks ago was, like, the real crazy show where so much was happening. And I don't know if, like, Tony Khan or whoever heard some feedback. But, like, last week and this week, they definitely, like, slowed down the pace a bit. And I think because of that, the result have, has been a lot better. I'm in total agreement. Like, I don't know if it's just um, something that I'm not like something I'm noticing or if it's something other people are noticing, too. But of course, you know, you doing the reports for the site, you know exactly what it's like to try to have to keep up with this while taking notes. Um, yeah. And it's somehow been easier like these past two weeks. And I don't exactly know what it is. Yeah, for sure. Like in me, like I like to time the matches, obviously, so I can't be like rewinding and stopping. I have to like try to like catch up with the notes like during commercials, like during picture in picture. I'll be honest, like I don't even watch the screen because I can't I can't like 
you know, I need a little bit of a breather to just like catch up and like edit the notes or whatever. But um, it's been a lot better for sure the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's just like they're, you know, certainly we're not getting like segments like, you know, Tully Blanchard suddenly being kicked out of FTR in the, in the middle of those things. But I mean, it's still a really packed show, you know, with a lot happening. So let's get into it right now. Welcome everybody in the chat room watching us live either in the YouTube or Twitter or Facebook. You can, uh, if you would like, leave a super chat for us to support the channel. Maybe, uh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, just, uh, I don't know, uh, upgrade um, John's. There's no weatherproofing the internet, so I don't, <laughs> I don't think any super chat will help, you know, today, but... Uh, nonetheless, we appreciate it. So let's get into Dynamite here. And apologies in advance because my notes are probably not nearly as detailed as what John's are. So I might be skipping out on some of the very crucial play-by-play. John Ceno, feel free to step in if I'm missing anything. Yeah. We start the show off with a match announced late this afternoon. CM Punk versus Dax Harwood. Harwood comes out with the AAA tag titles. And uh, CM Punk walks out with his long boys. I hope Punk keeps that distinction for his TV matches, you know, make the fans pay to see the legs. Has, legs has, draw. has that been the case? I haven't really like kept note I of the, I don't believe so. Okay. Like, cause of course the Derby match is, is where he debuted the long boys and that was on a, on a pay-per-view. So, um, but I think there's something, you know, it's, it's nice to have like, you know, it's like what Naito wearing his t-shirts, you know, for the non unimportant matches, um, separate it visually a bit. It's. I thought it was also interesting to have like Punk start things off with a match rather than a promo, you know. But but um, I guess like you know, a few weeks off is is considerable for Punk, and whether he's wrestling or speaking, I'm sure you know he's still a big rating straw. Um, he takes control. Like Harwood is in control. He's attacking Punk's back for much of the match. At this point, the Ass Boys are in the crowd. They're taunting Dax Harwood. He they they basically kind of help Punk out briefly. And this was also really one of the more interesting things about this match was that we got to see FTR suddenly start to play a bit more of a baby face here. At some point, we have uh um what what's his name uh Cash Wheeler coming out, of course. He teases some sort of interaction, but he does not get involved in the match. Instead, he's just there to simply fire up the crowd as if, as if he was a babyface here. He does not get involved. Um, we see a big top rope superplex from Dax Harwood. He hits a diving headbutt, and then uh, we get a double suplex spot to the floor. Punk goes for his elbow. He applies the Anaconda Vice, uh, but Dax Harwood pulls Punk's hair to avoid the submission. Hardwood, Harwood then attempts the sharpshooter, but Punk blocks it. We get a bunch of small package counters with Punk being very close to losing. Punk hits his rising knee, but that's countered into a beautiful slingshot powerbomb from Dax. Punk hits his rising knee to the back of Harwood. He goes to the GTS, but it's countered. At this point, Harwood goes again for the sharpshooter. This time he applies it, but Punk escapes. Punk flips over and then applies the Anaconda Vice for the victory. Uh, what did you think of the match? Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. It makes me wonder, like how, like how quick they put this match together. Because if I'm not mistaken, earlier in the in the in the day, they were saying like CM Punk was speaking or appearing, and then they said he was appearing. Okay, so they weren't like, but then they said on commentary that I guess he got cleared backstage or whatever to wrestle. I'm not sure if that's like legit the case or whatnot. Um, But I enjoyed the match. It's just interesting with the whole like FTR dynamic, like. Like, if they're turning face, if they're not, because you had, like, on commentary, JR was saying how a lot of people don't like FTR, but then obviously you have the gun club at ringside kind of, like, 
you know, feuding with them. And then even later on, MJF was like, the pinnacle is still together. So obviously we're not supposed to really know what's going on with FTR, I guess. Um, but as far as the match go, I really enjoyed it. Like as soon as I, I heard this match, I was really excited about it. Um, Punk and Harwood, I don't think they've ever shared the ring together. So this was definitely like a good match. I thought it was really good uh, for an opener. And I thought it was really interesting that they decided to pair these two together because, you know, Bret Hart has been sort of on the tongues of both of these guys recently, of course, you know, with FTR um, seemingly teasing every single week now, some sort of Bret Hart interaction, of course, CM Punk at the uh, backstage during his uh, Revolution pre- press conference, like heaping a lot of praise onto Bret, you know, seemingly from kind of out of nowhere. So this felt very much like either maybe some allusions to it, but I would say in terms of content, even it felt very much like a Bret type of match and that it was not overtly fat flashy, even though we got like a big superplex, but like what was flashy about it were were things like you know the double suplex that brought both the suplex that brought both men to the floor like stuff that i think bret hart would very much appreciate you know it's just logical great solid technical wrestling between the two i thought it was another showcase of how great harwood is as a wrestler regardless of whether he's a singles or a tag guy and yeah, it seems to, you know, tease further baby facing of FTR, which could be genuine or, of course, it could also be a swerve. Yeah, and I find it interesting that Harwood is in the spot because he's the one that was vocal recently on what the Renee Paquette podcast about the whole, like, thing backstage with the click and everything. So it's good to see him, like, get this, like, spot. I feel like he, if, like, I had to pick, like, one person out of FTR to kind of, like, have that singles career, I feel like Dax might be the one. Mm. John Silver and Chris Jericho are about to have uh, an interaction tonight in the main event as uh, the uh, Silver Reynolds take on Jericho and uh, Daniel Garcia in the main event. And so to promote it, (laughs) they showed us a photo, a childhood photo of John Silver meeting Chris Jericho. And um, this seemed like, what, 2005 Jericho, like mid-2000s era Jericho with like the shoulder length hair. And John Silver, like, looked what? All of maybe 11 or 12? They said, they said he was 12 years old. So wow. I'm looking up right now. That's He's, what, 30 years old, John Silver? So you're thinking, yeah, about almost 20 years ago at this point? It, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic photo, you know? And this is just another reminder, much like MGF and CM Punk. Keep your fan pictures, everybody. You never know when you're going to work a program against your idol in the future. Yeah, didn't we just see one, like, online with, who was it, uh, Sammy Guevara had a had – a, picture online as well so it's like they're everybody's got to keep their pictures for sure this this is great publicity for any sort of autograph signing you know that a wrestler might have in the future take your photo with me you might need it for our program in 20 years the jericho appreciation society is in the back and um tell us about the content of this promo because i spent most of it marveling at how much younger chris jericho looks now they just showed us a photo of, of him 20 years ago and i have to say like he does not look too far off from that photo, um, at least, you know, in terms of the shape that he's in. Like, you look at this picture and you look at Daniel Garcia. Daniel Garcia is half of Chris Jericho, less than half of Chris Jericho's age. This man is 23 years old. Okay, Jericho is 51 right now. And I would say that Jericho could very much pass as, you know, like an older brother of, of Daniel Garcia, even though he's old enough to be his dad, which is incredible. But... um Anything to comment about the the content of this promo here? Yeah, they were kind of like throwing around like terms such as like future endeavored and sports entertainers. And then like Jericho was saying how like ever since um, the beatdown, they haven't seen Eddie Kingston, Ortiz and Santana. Then they kind of like start peeking behind the curtains to look for them. And then Jake Hager says they're not here and they're never coming back. So they're obviously still 
uh, keeping everybody in reminder about Eddie Kingston, Ortiz, and Santana. So I'm sure when they do show up, it's going to be like some gigantic brawl between them and um, and the Jericho Appreciation Society. But it's like they are going to be outnumbered. So my my first thought was, who are they going to get to team up with them to take out? You know, those five. They got to make it a five on five, right? So how many people are in the group right now? The Jericho, the JAS is five people. You have Hager, right. you have uh, Angelo and Matt, uh, Daniel Garcia and Jericho. So then you're going to have to have Kingston, Ortiz, Santana, and they're going to have to recruit, recruit somebody. I'm guessing, mm. I don't know, Homicide, who's out there still? Hmm, interesting. Okay. See, I would in, in I would say the Briscoes, but obviously with what's going on, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but I feel like they would be the perfect fit to, mm. you know, five on five. Uh, so yeah, they they kept using terms like we're going to feature Endeavor U, so really kind of continuing continuing to hit on the uh, sports entertainment aspect of it all. We have our eight man tag here, of course, between the a- AFO now, um, the Andrade Hart uh, family office with uh, who, uh, who, I don't even have it listed. Sorry, John usually takes takes care of all this. Please, so, you know, who the Andrade family. Office. I have it listed here at, in my report as the Andrade family's office of private party Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn, the Butcher and the Blade. So unfortunately, I. I, don't, I want to know what's going on with Jorah Joel because through all this, he hasn't been seen. I don't know whose side he's on. I don't know what happened to Angelico and Jack Evans. If they're Jack Evans is still in Mexico, I don't know what's going on. I need I need to have some sort of clear distinction on whose side the rest of the AFO is on now at this point. Where is Jorah Joel? Where is Jorah? The big question plaguing the wrestling industry. You know, forget Cody. We're on the Jorah Joel watch. All right, it's our eight-man tag. On the other side is Sting and Darby Allen and the Hardys here. This crowd loves Jeff, and the action starts incredibly fast with the Darby Allen suicide dive, just basically like, you know, like a fastball into a pitcher's mitt, you know, just kicking things off here. This very much followed the formula of the Revolution six-man hardcore match in that it was just chaos from the get-go, spilling all throughout the arena. We go right into the action here. This crowd is crazy for Darby. Butcher has Darby like, you know, sort of in a powerbomb position and he swings him into the sides of the entrance ramp into the concessions. We're talking hard concrete here. Okay. He then tosses him down the concrete steps. Darby Allen is just crazy. Um, I, I know William Regal was getting set to come outside here. I hope he was not watching this. I don't think he would have been very happy with Darby Allen here. Um, but then we go to commercial and to me, like this is the perfect type of match to go to a commercial with because it's visually interesting they're fighting on the ramp they're fighting in the concessions you know there's always something to watch when you're when you're looking in that little picture so matt and private party are fighting on the stage now uh we and then we end up with a double side effect through the table from private party to matt hardy and this crowd absolutely just sounds incredible here uh back to the concessions now jeff hardy has brought a giant ladder into the merch stand with Sting and Darby Allen. Um, I believe Butcher and the Blade are propped up onto these merch tables. Yep. Jeff Hardy climbs this ladder and he <laughs> described the, 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 the setting of this arena, John, and, and what Jeff Hardy was standing on. He, okay, it was like this, this concession area, or whatever. And then like he climbed this gigantic ladder and then he didn't even jump off the ladder he jumped off like the edge of the window like you know how some windows have a little like side of it and he was like so high in the air i was so scared watching this but jeff hardy's gonna jeff hardy right i can't imagine even standing on this thing i can't imagine climbing a ladder that high first of all much less stepping off the ladder onto this ledge that couldn't have been more than the length of my cell phone okay like the width of my cell phone, I should say, you know, and, and, and the man is like there, he's doing his like thumbs up, 
this was Jeff Hardy, like no hesitation whatsoever. You know, the same Jeff Hardy, like we've, we've seen for 20 years now. And he jumps off with a crazy swanton bomb through these tables, pro wrestling tees, boxes <laughs> everywhere. This was great promotion for them, of course. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy spot. Yeah. Ho- hopefully those shirts had like the soft cotton so they can, you know, kind of take the fall a little bit better. <laughs> That's it. Yes. So, uh, back in, into the arena here, uh, Isaiah Cassidy comes in, hits Sting with the chair and Sting gets his big spot here as he no sells the chair and he, er- the crowd erupts, you know, just to see Sting, um, you know, have his big Hulk up spot. Sting counters the gin and juice. Um, he seems to have like stumbled a bit, a little here. Like it was supposed to be, I think, a bit more of a smooth transition from his counter t- to um, the Scorpion Death Drop, but it's okay, you know. Like it didn't ruin the match; it felt realistic. Matt Hardy gets up and applies the Twist of Fate with the Scorpion Death Death Drop at the same time, uh, and Matt Hardy gets the pinfall here. So, really yeah. great match, John. I, I give Sting all the props for like hanging on for dear life with that Scorpion Death Drop, like because. I don't know, the Sting with ten, from 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe not. Maybe would have just, like, gave up and was like, fuck it, I'll do it again. But he held on to it. He made sure that this finish was going to be what it was. This match was crazy. From the get-go, Sting, like, before the bell rang, Sting jumped off the top rope into everybody. And then Jeff Hardy and the Blade, like, had this, like, crazy spill over the, the barricade. And obviously the, the, the Butcher and, and Darby and getting thrown down the stairs. And I, 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 This is, like car crash television but i loved it it was great like this is the type of match where a lot of stuff is happening but i'm actually like laughing as i'm taking notes because this is so fun it's like what's gonna happen next you know just tremendously entertaining and i'll say they 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 definitely hit on this formula back in revolution and i feel like continuing here just tells you that they've really start they're starting to perfect it in in finding you know the way to make these multi-main hardcore matches work i thought this was just as good as the revolution one maybe didn't have as memorable of a sting bump but it had a massive jeff hardy swanton off of a crazy just oh man unbelievable edge i mean last week i felt like we saw a pretty standard hardy's match with you know a lot of their signature moves and that was exactly what that crowd wanted but tonight i thought we got to see like a glimpse of you know the tlc hardys the terry invitational hardys you know (laughs) the types of hardys that like interact so well in these sort of like unconventional weapon weaponized environments big spots from matt and jeff and i mean again at their advanced ages it just becomes all the more impressive seeing them you know very much fit in the mix with the darby allen here um so the crowd was loud the whole way through i would say they were even louder than they were for cm punk in this match a lot of fun yeah, who, who would have thought in 2022, like, the Hardy Boys, Darby Allin, and Sting are part of, like, this hardcore stable that are just, like, having these crazy matches every week. I want to like, see Sting in the next Jackass movie at this point. Like, you know, three of the baby faces in this team are north of 44, okay? Which is like, – so they provided a pace that I absolutely did not expect them to do. So I, I'm loving the Hardy so far two weeks in. FTR are in the back being interviewed after Dax's match and – this is where I think we got a number of more allusions to Brett the Hitman Hart. We had Cash Wheeler here speaking on behalf of Dax, saying how this man, my brother, he wrestles like he always does. He wrestled from the heart. He says he does all of this out of respect. And uh, Harwood, uh, Harwood says, you know, he can't stand the spoiled brats like uh, the ass. Sorry, uh, Billy, the Gun Club. He refuses to call them the ass boys out of respect, and instead calls them Billy's sons. So he challenges Billy's sons to a match next week on Dynamite. And also worth noting was that they did all of this in the backdrop of a pink lit wall. 
I did notice that. Do you find it interesting that, like, obviously with the Bret Hart connection and with what uh, Dak said about Shawn Michaels, that the first team they're feuding with is probably, like, the team closest to a Shawn Michaels with Billy Gunn's boys? That's very interesting. I feel like that's probably hmm. done on purpose, right? I mean, I know Road Dog is out there, but I wouldn't rule out an FTR versus New Age Outlaws match a one time in a in a AEW. That is very fascinating. Yeah, um, if they go all in on on this, you know, Bret Hart connection, yeah, like some sort of Bret. I mean, um, I, I I think though we're seeing like um, what is it, Dax very much kind of model um, the respect side of Bret as sort of like you know one of one of the philosophies of the group right now. Um, in saying he, he respects them so much that he won't even call them the ass boy. So I, I wonder how much like kind of dirt he, they, they might bring up. But yeah, that, that interview, I don't think they're doing any of that stuff without, you know, um, thinking about a potential program to come. For sure. We have, uh, Brian Danielson and John Moxley here taking on the varsity blondes here. William Regal is on commentary and Julia Hart is out still with the varsity blondes. <laughs> Still depressed, still with an eye patch. Um, can you update us on the status of Julia Hart through uh, AEW Dark and, and stuff? Yeah, for sure. Like, actually, this is a big week for Julia Hart on Shot in the Dark because she had a couple of uh, of interesting segments on AEW Dark. Um, on Monday, she had a match against Sky Blue where she was pretty much a, a full-out heel. Like, she refused to shake Sky Blue's hand, and then she won the match by putting her her feet on the on the ropes so obviously like heel tendencies and then on ella on the next aw dark the tuesday's dark she came out with the varsity blondes and the varsity blondes were pretty much treating her like shit like at one point when they came out to the ring griff garrison takes off his jacket and he just like throws it in julia hart's face i have no idea why he would do that to her and then the entire match julia just looked like upset like with her head down and she continued that tonight so that's like her like it, it feels like she's on timeout like she just Stays in the corner with her head down and just doesn't say a word. It's like the weirdest thing. Like I don't know what's going on with Julia. So 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 she's being like somehow like abused and tortured by the the varsity club. That's varsity bond. That's what it seems like. Like on some shows she is, but on other shows she's just being like straight heel. So it's like when she's like by herself, like she's a heel. But when she's with the varsity blonde, she's just being like very quiet and just like it can time out. It's I I don't. It's weird because when she first got the mist in her face, she was still kind of like herself. She just had the eye patch on. But now the last couple of weeks, she's just not saying a word. And uh, I, I don't I don't know what's going on. I, th- maybe she's going to join with FTR at this point. <laughs> you know, put a heart with Bret Hart. Who knows? Oh, OK. <laughs> that's that's the heart they're referring to. There we go. <laughs> that would be wonderful. That's that. Yeah, yeah. it's not Bret. That's, it's just that's Julia. Be, <laughs> quite the swerve. I love it, Sino. Um yeah, no, I mean, hey, goth goth phases are are um, you know, this is this is what what uh, adoles- some adolescents might go through. Um, te- um, your teenage years are very complicated. That's true. Okay, so uh, we you know they, they it it it's a pretty hot start here as as you would expect from Brian and Mox. We go through a commercial break. We get Brian and Mox with their lariat German combo, which looks devastating. Regal on commentary speaks a whole lot about Brian Pillman having, of course, wrestled in WCW with him, uh, as well as his dad. I believe he he, he said he knew his dad as well. Um, we have. Or maybe maybe he was just talking about Brian Pillman here. Well, we have our Busaiku knee slash paradigm shift um, at the same time here. And then uh, Mox and Brian both grab onto their respective opponents as they deliver their elbows and stomps at the same time. And then almost in synchronized, they hit their rear naked choke and labelle locks at the same time. Uh, Just completely vicious here. They get the win. 
Uh, I thought the blondes tried really hard, and I thought they did really well, actually, you know, from a wrestling standpoint, keeping up with the very fast pace of uh, Mox and Brian here. But what did you think of the match? Yeah, I'm actually, it was interesting, this match, when it was announced, because, like, what happened last week with, you know, Wheeler Utah kind of, like, giving his handshake, I'm thinking, is the same thing going to happen here? Like, who's going to shake hands with Regal this time? Is it going to be Pillman? Is it going to be Griff Garrison? Is it going to be Julia Hart? Like, I, I wasn't sure what they're going to do with this match. But as far as the match went, it, it was really good. And just the ending, and just, like, the referee, like, if you look at his face during the ending, he's just, like, shaking his head, like, yeah, this match needs to end. Like, he called it off before, like, they even submitted at that point. Like, this is just hard-hitting what you expected from, uh, I guess we'll find out, the Blackpool Combat Club, as they're calling themselves now. Yeah, that's right, because Mox afterwards grabs the mic, and he basically, you know, talks about his respect for Regal. He tells all of their opponents that they have to reach down to a place where they love pain, calls themselves the Blackpool Combat Club. So I was happy that we finally got to hear from Mox, you know. Finally, he gets to speak at length about his connection and respect for Regal. And what do you think of the team name? I like it. I really do. Like, I, everybody was like, you know, what they're going to call them, like the Regal crew, whatever. But Blackpool Combat Club makes sense because you have, like, that, you know, combat in it. And obviously the Blackpool connection. He, uh, Boxley was even talking about, like, what, earning the Blackpool badge of honor. I don't know what that entails. But uh, that was cool to him mention that, I guess. But, um, yeah, I'm really liking this 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 team. I just I kind of hope that they – the only thing I, I want them to do is come out with some sort of unified entrance. Like, I like, obviously, Daniels' entrance. I don't like um, Moxie's entrance. But I want some sort of, like – united entrance and music some they gotta pick a theme song like what would you pick what would be a good theme song i think a mashup between wild thing and uh you know ride of the valkyries would be perfect okay (laughs) no uh... no i'm joking dude i'm joking i'm I'm saying uh, i was gonna say well how about they start with the ride of the valkyries and then cut in the wild thing and then cut back to what like just go back (laughs) yeah something that they would do just just put the lyrics to yeah you can do a mashup just put the lyrics to wild thing over ride of the valkyries yeah that'll work yeah i don't know about that i like the team name you know blackpool like blackpool just sounds cool they should be so lucky that like william regal isn't from like moose jaw or something you know because it wouldn't sound nearly as badass i like it blackpool like it sounds like a like a like a soccer like a european soccer team like it sounds like a team that would have a coat of arms you know for sure. Yeah. I kind of want that shirt. I mean, you know, it's going to be a pretty awesome shirt. I can just see like right now, like the Blackpool Combat Club having some sort of like shield emblem with, you know, all their yeah. maybe like a dragon on one side and like a Ooh. wild thing on the other side, whatever a wild thing is. <laughs> just, yeah. Um, I, I, I thought the match was great. Like they, they continue to really kind of define their uniqueness with the style that's all on their own. Mox and Brian are. You have a number of teams, of course, in the AEW tech division that specialize in high flying. You even have FTR who doesn't specialize in high flying, but like they kind of specialize in like more like, you know, bare bones, old school offense. But Brian and Mox, like they're specializing in aggression and intensity, which God, like they're, they're, they're going like incredibly hard for the entire duration of their matches and they're forcing their opponents to do the same. So they're doing such a very convincing job of like, it's kind of like what Mox was doing prior to his, his, his leaving, you know, when he was coming out in that tournament and trying to finish matches as, as quickly as possible, possible. Like it's that pace, but now like times two with Brian in there as well. You know what the Blackpool Combat Club reminds me of? You don't watch Cobra Kai, do you, by any chance? I do not, no. Okay, so to anybody in the chat that, that does uh, watch them, like I feel like da- uh, Brian Danielson is like Cobra Kai. He's like Daniel LaRusso. Uh, and then you have, um, sorry, with the you know the Miyagi Club. And then you have Moxley, who's more of like the uh, Cobra Kai. He's more of like the Eagle Fang. So you have like the, the badass karate group kind of merging together, and they form the Blackpool Combat Club. That's what's reminding me of. So if anybody gets that reference, it's like the, the badass club and the, and, the, and the good club kind of coming together to form this ultimate mashup. 
Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, MJF is here. He uh, gets a lot of heat from this audience. He comes out with Sean Spears by his side. He addresses Wardlow, first of all, and he says, unlike Wardlow, he sticks to his contract and uh, teases him about just not having enough to beat Scorpio Sky last week for the TNT Championship. CM Punk is who he addresses next. MJF says Punk cheated to win. Says Punk eventually, so at some point down the road, he is going to give Punk the worst loss of his career. And it won't be over until he attends his funeral and pisses on his grave. So they're going to have a Buried Alive match then. That's what I got out of this, right? It's a Buried Alive and piss on the grave match. Yeah, that's how you yeah. end the match. In AEW, the, the, the Buried Alive matches, you got to end it with the piss. Wow, yeah. yeah. It's, it would definitely be a... I think the Long Boys, would that help or hinder that stipulation? Um, It probably Maybe would help, it, yeah. We'll make a difference, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Wardlow is who he, uh, he goes back to addressing. He says, no one would know who Wardlow was if it wasn't for MJF. And then this is where he starts, you know, giving Wardlow a new nickname. He starts calling him Piggy. And makes many references to uh to, to pigs. Um, I didn't understand this. Like he kept calling him a greedy little pig. Like I don't understand what the connection was between like a pig and Wardlow. Like I don't I don't I don't either. But like there's something so I think like un uh, unfun. Like it's just like <laughs> calling somebody a pig is 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 just it just feels derogatory. You know, like it's not like the type of thing you would ever want to see on a t-shirt like it just sounds hateful that i think it kind of works you know so he says that uh what is it wardlow signed a deal with the devil and his contracts are ironclad this is when the crowd starts chanting jesus i <laughs> is this the first time we got a jesus chant in in wrestling like uh in in this <laughs> in this wrestling company yeah i mean i i don't know maybe some christian some wrestling wrestling. federation yeah maybe. possibly this is uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, why did they chant Jesus? Like, what prompted them? The well, only thing I can think of is, is because MJF, MJF said he signed the deal with the devil. Oh, I see. Okay, all yeah. right. So, a very, very intelligent crowd, I, I would say. MJF is uh, maybe even more intelligent because he picks up on this and says, "Well, how about I strap Wardlow to the cross like Jesus?" In reference, so uh, he says he owns Wardlow. And then this prompts Wardlow to walk out, and a team of security is there to meet him. They hold him back. MJF continues to taunt Wardlow as he's being held back, says he works for him. And because he doesn't want him there, he is considered to be trespassing. And instead of having him come to TV every week, he's going to keep paying him, but he's going to ground him at home. Keeps calling him a pig, and... Before he leaves, he addresses the pinnacle. This is something, of course, I, I was personally wondering, you know, especially with FTR seemingly turning babyface. What does this mean for the pinnacle? Uh, he says the pinnacle are about to move up. He acknowledges that MJ, uh, FTR are still uh, are about to compete next week. So it seems like they're still very much in the faction. Um, but I think we're at least going to get some sort of acknowledgement and some sort of angle next week as far as FTR's future in the pinnacle. But what do you think of MJF's promo overall? Yeah, I, I think so. I thought the same thing. I feel like it's going to lead to some sort of match between FTR and um, Spears and MJF while Warlow takes his break, whatever he's taking. Um, the promo was interesting. I mean, the fact that he kind of still kept Punk in everybody's mind, so they're obviously going to lead to that match some sometime down the line. Um, but this whole Warlow thing is, is pretty interesting. Like, is he literally going to stay home? Is he going to, like, I don't know, show up at Supercard of Honor and said he signed with Ring of Honor? I, I don't know. They could do so many things with this um this this whole angle it, it it reminds me of the whole um what Shawn Michaels and uh JBL angle 
from WWE, like, you know, where mm-hmm. he owned him or whatever. But um, obviously there's got to be some sort of way for Warlow to uh, get out of this contract. He might have to, you know, team up with Smart Mark Sterling or something, but there's got to be some way out of this ironclad contract. Yeah, maybe he'll show up in the Ring of Honor. You never know. You yeah. never know. I don't know. Uh, all right, we got Wheeler Yuta in the back with the best friends. Trent says he never liked Yuta. But the others trained him, and he basically, you know, chastises him for turning his back on his team next last week. Yuta says that he never wanted to be a best friend; he wanted to be the best wrestler. So these two teams, or these two, seem to go their separate ways. I thought it was like a really nice and simple split here. You know, it's immense the breakup we had last week, and I thought it did it in a way that retains both of their babyface statuses because you can understand both perspectives. Trent doesn't like this loyalty, but Yuta simply feels like his team isn't as serious as he is. And also, it makes sense because they brought in Yuta when um, Trent Beretta got injured, right? He kind of like took his spot without right. like Trent's permission. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's like, yeah, who, who the hell is this guy coming in and just taking my spot now? Like, I'm back. What are you still doing here type of thing? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is obviously going to lead to a match. They didn't announce it for Rampage or Dynamite, but I'm pretty sure we'll probably see this in the next week or so. Yeah, you think they'll just go? Yeah, I guess so. I think You're so. Right. This was yeah. heated enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, all right. And then we got up next Adam Cole versus Jay Lethal. This was uh, uh, one of the matches that they promoted ahead of time. And this is where Excalibur really got knee deep into their ROH history and their lineages. And I think this is really a sign of things to come because, I mean, you know, like they were free to acknowledge it prior. But now, especially, it feels like Ring of Honor histories are very much AEW histories now. Um, kind of like when, you know, the UFC bought WEC and like those matches were on their record. So they tell us that Cole and Lethal are three and three with each other in their careers. Crowd is very hot here. At some point, Red Dragon comes out. We get a commercial break. Cole then tries to cheat to win as he grabs the tights, but only gets a two count. The boom is countered with a cutter out of nowhere. The lethal injection is countered with a super kick. Cole goes for the Panama Sunrise, but Lethal kicks out at two, which was a big um, kickout for Jay Lethal here. Lethal hits an O'Connor roll, but Red Dragon distracts. Lethal then goes for another lethal injection, but this one is countered with a low blow from Adam Cole with the ref distracted. Then he hits the boom, and Adam Cole wins the match. Your thoughts, John? Yeah, I mean, up until this match, I was really enjoying this show. Um, not saying this match was bad, but I feel like with the ending of this match, the show tri- it took a little bit of a dip because this had a distraction finish, and then the next two matches had distraction finishes as well. So it was kind of like a little change in tone for the rest of the show. Um, as far as the match goes, it, it was good, though. Like, up until the finish, I just I, I, I hate like these apron spots in AEW. I feel like it happens once too many times. And the whole Ring of Honor promotion is interesting. Like They're obviously acknowledging Ring of Honor, but obviously they're not going to promote Supercard of Honor, and Jay Lethal has a match on it next Friday, but I can't see them. Why do you say obvious? Because I I don't think that like TNT or TBS would allow um, mm, okay. AEW to promote a show that's going to be going against their own show. Yeah, you could very much have a point there. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I wondered if it would be different because, I mean, you know, Tony Khan has said that he's had um, clearance for, to, for them to run the show, and because on his social media... Uh, and you know, in his radio appearances, he's free to discuss it. So, it I honestly, me- I wouldn't be surprised if they push Rampage up like earlier in the day. Like, I'm not sure what else is happening on TNT that day, or if there's you know other shows. But why not push that? See, but like to do that, um, it, TNT has to move a lot. You know, they have to do a lot of work to facilitate that. And are they willing to do all that work just to what promote a independent wrestling? Or I'm not independent, yeah. but like an internet pay per view show. I'm not really so sure. 
But I, I do think that, you know, they they have an interest in making Jay Lethal look strong here. And even though he took the loss here, I, they, they gave him a Pandemite Sunrise kickout. They gave him a distraction finish here to, to end. So they're still making him feel like, you know, he's a player at least. So it was a good yeah, match. I know, I know like going into this, I saw a little bit of like, um, I guess like, wondering why Jay Lethal was like ranked number three. Like obviously these AEW Dark matches count. Like he's yeah. he was ranked above Adam Cole and the only loss Adam Cole had was uh what against Paige and he went down to number four. So the, the ranking system is a little weird sometimes, but at least like this made sense for Cole to beat Lethal and now he's gonna be obviously higher in the rankings. Mm. So Adam Cole then cuts a promo he on Adam Page. Um he says Paige stole their his wins from Adam Cole calls him a coward who doesn't have the guts to come out here and face the three of us man to man, which is hilarious. So Paige does have the guts to come out to face the three of the man to man. He comes out here and he's got his championship belt, but who needs that when you have a leather waist belt? And that's what he pulls out here to use as an equalizer against the three of the men here. Um, but ultimately, the three-on-one advantage was too much for Paige. So Jurassic Express comes out with Christian to chase them away. Cole, though, steals the championship in the process, and he's walked away with it. So it seems like they're building to a rematch. Where, where can you see them doing this, Sino? Um, I mean, double or nothing is what? Too far, I think. Two, yeah, two months away. You have Battle of the Belts coming up, right, in uh, mm-hmm. Texas in a couple of weeks. I could poss- possibly see it done there, like with this letter. Are they going to do like a strap match? Like why Why would they introduce this letter belt out of nowhere unless they're going to probably use it in a match, I would think. They can have some sort of stipulation if they're going to have Cole and Paige. And I guess by this ending, it kind of solidifies that Dark Order might be done with Paige, right? I mean, after he chose Jurassic Express, they're just like, we're not going to help you anymore, it seems like. Perhaps for now, you know, because of course, you know, Red Dragon doing the stuff with the Jurassic Express probably feels a bit more convenient now. And I think the match last week was really great. So if I was Paige, I would stick with Jurassic Express. But I mean... I, I don't think they're carrying on the storyline. Like on BTE, in fact, I think they just kind of made up. In fact, they teased the breakup with them insulting each other, but they just kind of ended the segment like going out to grab a bite to eat. So, could you see a possible match on Battle of the Belts where it's like all titles on the line, like tag titles and world title? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, but I don't think AEW tends to do uh, stipulations like that. Like it's it's not very sport like to all of a sudden like lose your championship without like being con- without it being contested in in a match for specifically that title so that's true can't really see it but i can see those two matches both taking place on that show yep okay uh dustin rhodes and lance archer we get some promo time from the back of them and uh, from, from the two of them in the back uh dan lambert is speaking on behalf of Ar- uh, lance archer still dustin gets really heated in this and says monsters die too so that match is coming up yeah, I mean, this kind of match came out of nowhere. Like, obviously, they have some past history. Um, but I kind of like the idea. They did it later on with Shane Strickland and Ricky Starks. I'd rather them show, like, a 30-second, like, little teaser for Rampage instead of just Excalibur just, like, running down the card, like, at super speed at the end. I kind of like this throughout mm-hmm. the show, opposed to, like, just giving the card out. Um, the match is kind of coming out of nowhere, but it doesn't make sense with both of these guys being from Texas, and that's where Rampage is. And, you know, maybe AEW is like, hey, we got the better roads now. Let's push, let's push Dustin to the, to the moon. We got the better roads. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti are in the ring now. And Sammy finally addresses his TNT title loss to Scorpio Sky. Says even though he doesn't have the title, he still has this as he points to the wrestling ring beneath him. He guarantees that every time he's in this ring, he will give it 
all he has. He knows the criticisms of people saying that his style won't have him last too long in his career, but he doesn't care because it's all worth it. Ty Conti speaks and she addresses Paige Van Zandt, who said in, in, in Portuguese, she says, bitch, you're going to get your ass kicked like you did your whole career. So, um, there you go. Dan Lambert and the men of the year show up on the ramp. And Lambert kind of does a bit of a roll call about who's still currently a part of the team here. He talks about Ethan Page, who says he's the only thing Canada has gotten right. He says Dan Lambert himself is the best co-TNT champion ever, as he's still wearing the belt. Uh, or the the, the, the um, fake belt, I, I suppose you could say. And then he talks about Paige Van Zandt, who's not present, but says she has in her contract that she won't appear in shit-stained towns like Austin, Texas. And then he proceeds to say, if you can scrape $9 from your parents or something, um, you can join her fan page and find out why Orange Cassidy keeps his hands in his pockets all the time. Yeah. Very, very good line. And then says, Scorpio Sky hasn't lost since Tony Khan hit puberty. So really just uh, taking everybody down here, Dan Lambert. Um, but maybe the, the most scathing line of all is uh, when he addresses Ty Conti and calls her Lucha Horace. So... Yeah, um, they deny Sammy the championship rematch, and then Sammy. <laughs> so as Dan Lambert kisses his fake TNT championship, Sammy tells Lambert that he <laughs> can you do can you I can't do this line justice. Sino, why don't why don't you 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 attempt it, please? He basically made a sexual joke saying, uh, you know, the things we've done to that belt, um, what you're kissing, basically. Got, you got in your mouth like you guys can kind of put it all together he says something to the effect of like we know we're living in your head rent free but if you knew what we did to that belt we're living yeah. in your mouth as well yeah and there's a so picture they, they put a picture on their twitter of uh of ty and sammy uh wearing nothing but the title in bed so oh jesus very explicit but damn it was a it was a good closing line. I can't deny it. I, I, I wasn't a fan of this segment, to be honest with you. Like, it was just too really? much to me. Like, you had this OnlyFans joke with Orange Cassidy. He made a joke about Tony Khan reaching puberty and then the Lucha Horus thing. Like, it just felt like it was too much. But it's it's Dan Lambert, so it makes sense. But, like, to me, I think Sammy and Ty kind of came off his heels during this. Like, if, if I was a, a fan, if I was watching this and didn't really know anything, I wouldn't like these two. Because Why? It's like they, they come off just like very like arrogant. Like, like first of all, when, right. when, when the segment started and you had uh, Sammy in the ring with Ty, I was like, wait, what's going on here? Because last time Sammy was in the ring with a, a, a woman, something else happened. So uh, I was like, what is going on here tonight? And then the whole segment happened. Just I don't know. Just I, I wasn't a fan of this, this whole thing. I don't. I mean, certainly, I think the criticism for Sammy Guevara has been that he is a much better heel than he is a babyface. Yeah. In ring, he's of course a spectacular babyface, but there's something about his personality, and I think really about the way he looked, that really just kind of is a bit more fitting for him as a heel. And I, I did. I did like the first half of the promo where he was like mentioning how everybody's telling him to slow down. You know, he has to like you know save his body and all that. That was interesting because that's like been a criticism I've seen on Sammy, and he's just like he doesn't care. He's mm-hmm. you know he's just gonna do what he wants. So like that kind of like started. I don't know. It was it was a, it was an interesting promo for sure. But, but I think you're right in that. Like I think they're 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 okay baby faces right now, and we haven't really even got to see them yet. You know, as baby faces. But I think they're going to be excellent heels already. Whenever that turn comes, oh, they would make yeah, they would make a, a an amazing heel team. 
Uh, we have Swerve Scott cut a, a pre, pre, pre-edited promo here. He's talking about Ricky Starks and he challenges him to an FTW title shot on Rampage this week. Starks says, you're going to challenge me to an FTW title match in Austin, which is my second hometown. He says, you can bring Keith Lee ringside. I'm going to have Powerhouse Hobbs with me. So we're going to get Swerve versus Starks for the FDW title on Rampage. So it seems like they're keeping uh, Swerve a, a Rampage exclusive act for now. Yeah, they've been doing that for a while. I mean, that CM Punk kind of started with that. Obviously, Hook, you had Keith Lee, Swerve now. So yeah, they're, they're keeping their attractions, uh, a lot of their big attractions to Rampage, which is you know smart. They want to get people, I guess, to watch the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we... We also have up next now Layla Hurst versus Red Velvet here as uh, Chris Statlander, they mentioned, has been barred from ringside. This, of course, takes place in 930, which is, you know, typically the death spot on the, on the, on the dynamites. Um, we have Red Velvet deliver a nice run up Rana off the steps onto the floor. Uh, Velvet, you know, goes through a commercial. Velvet comes back, hits her corkscrew kick as Hurst rolls to the floor, attacks Velvet's arm. Hearst then tries to grab her turnbuckle, which she's been using to cheat to win, but it gets taken away by the referee. But she has a little tinier turnbuckle, or at least some sort of metal rod object in her trunks, which she uses to knock Velvet out cold. And she wins the matchup. She continues to attack, but Chris Statlander comes in to make the save with a bit of a slightly updated look and definitely increased aggression here. So uh, what are your thoughts on this match and this angle? Yeah, I, I feel bad for these two because the first match they had on Rampage, like people barely watched it because it came on like at what midnight. <laughs> so then they ran it back today and they ran it at a pretty bad spot where it's like, like you said, it's like the death spot at nine thirty, and the crowd you could tell weren't really into it. And then like the, you know, the screwy finish at the end didn't really help either. So um, it was fine. I mean, obviously we're gonna get this Chris Chris Layla match, but um, I, I didn't really enjoy this match too much, and I, it's sad because these two can definitely have a better better match than this. Yeah, I don't, I don't exactly know what the the answer what the reason for this is but i think it's it's it continues to be an issue with aw and we're talking about a product now that i think you know um has plenty to be concerned about with not having enough airtime for its wealth of talent that like for some reason other than baker other than you know thunder rosa maybe other than jade cargill like so much of their women's division still feels very cold and unimportant. I don't know if it's the constant placement of those matches on the show or if it's the lack of story or maybe just lack of a compelling story or maybe it's the level of wrestling. Maybe it's the level of promo. I don't know. But to me, this absolutely felt like it was something that maybe more so belonged on Dark, especially because the level and the standard of the rest of this show is so incredibly high at this point. Yeah, I was hoping for, and also, like, for Chris Statlander, I was hoping for more, like, more of a change. Like, last time we saw her, she, like, washed off her makeup, but she's put mm-hmm. on new makeup on. It's, like, a different color or whatever. She dyed her hair, and now she's wearing black. So it's, like, I don't know. Maybe we need to, need to hear her, like, actually cut a promo and speak because, like, I don't really see too much of a change. Like, is right. she not an alien anymore? Like, we need to find out exactly what happened when she washed her face uh, last couple weeks ago. Her alien look was never really that, like, distinctive of an alien look. You know, it was very... uh humanoid alien look so yeah you're right not not that much of a change here uh speaking of jade cargo we go to the back and you know she talks to mark sterling about all the green things she needs like a green lambos and and all that um no lotuses no lotus of (laughs) it's a great car yes uh her charisma is just fantastic very captivating you know even in quick little segments like this in the back 
Thunder Rosa comes out. She uh, she's about to speak to uh, Tony Schiavone, but Vicky Guerrero comes out. She interrupts, tells her to take her fake green card and to go back to Mexico. But this is all a distraction for Nyla Rose to come out to attack. And, you know, maybe they're a bit low on time at this point. But considering how emotional Thunder Rosa was last week and how authentic her facial expressions were as she won the championship, I would have really liked to have heard her speak, you know, from the heart about what that championship meant to her. But we didn't really get that here. I mean, this has been a common, like, issue for me, at least for AEW, is, like, some people just can't, like, talk. Like, how many times has Keith Lee been interrupted backstage? You know, now Thunder Rosa's getting interrupted. Like, unfortunately, they don't get the chance to talk. Um, As far as, like, Nala Rose, like, okay, that's a good first um, opponent. I was expecting somebody else, to be honest with you. Um, For some reason, the fact that it's in Texas, I kind of would have hoped it would have been, like, somebody like uh, the former Air Moon, who's from Texas, just as, like, a one-time, like, match, maybe with uh, Thunder Rosa. But uh, we might see that with Jade Cargill because we, we didn't find out who her 30th opponent's going to be. So maybe we're going to see that. I don't know. For some reason, I can see like Athena, as she calls herself now, um, be like a one-time opponent for for like a Jade or even like a Rosa down the line. I could see her being, you know, a perfect fit for, for this roster full time. I mean, I think this is a roster that needs, you know, like experienced um, uh, 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 female performers with like, you know, a certain level of, of um, ex- established TV exposure. So I can see them maybe waiting for a better time to give her that spotlight um, because right now they're clearly focused on Cargill. They're focused on Thunder Rosa. And we'll see what happens to Britt Baker. Well, about uh, Britt, I brought this question up, I, I think, on Shot in the Dark with – um. Supercard of Honor coming up. I'm pretty sure Deanna Perrazzo has like an open challenge. How would you like the idea of Britt Baker accepting? They've been teasing that match since the Forbidden Door opened up. What about Britt hmm. Baker coming and possibly taking that title off of Deanna? Because obviously she's part Ooh. of Impact, so she can't really stay with Ring of Honor. They kind of yeah. have no choice, right? Okay, yeah. I don't hate that idea at all. You know, have have Britt Baker come back as a... But it seems like she's still going to be a heel. Oh, like, yeah. She can, no, she can definitely stay a heel. Like, she could be like, okay, I have a title now anyway. Like, I'm still champion. Like, she'll show up on Dynamite with a belt like she never lost it in a way, you know? I, I think it's a really great idea. But, like, you know, having the ROH championship, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see what that means, you know, for yeah. a, a wrestler. Does that sequester them to Ring of Honor? Or does she show up in AEW with yet another championship? Well, even, let's just say Ring of Honor, they announced, like, a new TV deal or whatever. You're going to have these ROH people show up on AEW for the first for the first couple of weeks, right? You need to promote mm. them. They're gonna have like a AEW people, I feel like, on Ring of Honor from the from the beginning just to get people into the show. And then obviously once they're more established, then they can probably go back to AEW. But I feel like you're gonna have to lure in like new viewers of Ring of Honor with established names from AEW first. Yeah, I I, I I like the idea, but I also like wonder if they might be looking towards somebody who hasn't had a championship yet just as a way to elevate them. You know, because yeah. I mean, Baker already had that run. You know, why why do that when you can maybe give that spot to like a Ruby Riot, maybe for instance? I don't know. What happened with um Serena Deeb and, and Sheeta? Like they never did anything with them, right? Like Sheeta came that back. That was this week. I don't know. Like Sheeta came back and attacked her. That I feel like that was like what two weeks ago at this point, and then we haven't heard anything from either one of them. I feel like. Didn't Sheeta cut a promo last week? Last week, right? Yeah, but they never yeah. like announced a match or anything. So I mean, that's got to be coming soon. You would, the thing about the thing about AEW is usually when they cut like promos, the match is pretty soon after that. Like they don't really wait too long. So I'm mm. not sure what's going on with these two. All right, uh, and then up next we have our main event here. We have Chris Jericho and Danny Gar- Daniel Garcia, uh, or as John Pollock has dubbed them, <laughs> Jerry Garcia. That's great. <laughs> taking on the t- team of Al- uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds here. The Dark Orders uh, 5 and 10 and the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society are all ringside. Daddy Matt, Daddy Magic, Daddy Mac Magic, Matt Menard reminds the audience 
to be grateful that Jericho lets them sing Judas. Jericho starts the match with John Silver and he, Jericho basically starts the match like kind of petting his face, you know, treating the man standing across from him as if he was just another one of his kid fans as a great way to play off of that photo. Silver then swarms Jericho very early with his one of his great just kind of like, you know, uh, fast paced runs. He ends the sequence with the come on baby Chris Jericho cocky pin. The crowd is incredibly hot for all of this, especially for John Silver. We see a Tope su- Suicida slash ba- Brainbuster combo from Silver and Reynolds to Jericho on the floor. As Jericho is lying alone on the floor, he kicks the re- steps to make a loud bang noise, and he does the Eddie Guerrero spot, framing 5 and 10 for an outside attack, which prompts Aub- Aubrey Edwards to send them to the back before commercial break. Back from the commercial break, Chris Jericho misses a lion salt, which allows Reynolds to get a breather to give John Silver the hot tag. And then Silver just goes on a tear. He takes everybody out from the Jericho Society, including the two men in the ring, including the three men outside of the ring, including Jake Hager. Uh, and then he ends with a high cross to Chris Jericho for a two count. Reynolds and Silver then go on a big run with their tag team maneuvers, getting another two count. At this point, though, the Jericho Society interference is too much as Hager takes Silver out with a power slam on the floor. With Reynolds left all alone, Jericho uses Floyd to attack Reynolds behind the ref's back as uh, Daniel Garcia applies... I was about to say Jerry Garcia. Daniel Garcia applies the sharpshooter. Uh, second one tonight, but this time Garcia's variation is that he pulls back very hard on it to get the submission victory. What did you think of the main event tonight? Yeah, it was a pretty like weird placement to have this match like main event to show, I feel like. It, I don't know, something about it didn't click. I mean, especially with the to, to finish at the end, which was like another distraction type finish. Um, I do find like, I mean, Garcia has been doing a sharpshooter for a while, but I do find it interesting that he's going to keep doing it and possibly, you know, with Harwood was doing it earlier. So I can see down the line FTR versus Garcia Jericho type feud. Um, I, I'll be honest. I kind of like looked away when uh, Jericho got hit with the brain buster on the outside and it looked a lot worse than I think it really was. And my first thought was, you just had William Regal on your podcast talking about taking moves like this. And I got so scared, but good to see he was okay for the rest of the match. But I was just like a little worried when I saw him like taken on the floor selling it. Um, but the match was really good. I mean, good spot for for Silver and Reynolds here. Uh, I think Reynolds looked really good in this match, actually. I love when they do the, their double team sequence with like the suplex into the jackknife powerbomb. Like, I mean, uh, jackknife pin. Like, I love when Reynolds and Silver do that. Um, but yeah, the finish kind of, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, Silver took out pretty much the entire uh, JAS ringside. So... But uh, yeah, we should see what's next with uh, like where do they go from here? I mean, obviously they're going to be feuding with um, Eddie and Ortiz and Santana. You would think, right? It's going to be coming soon. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. I think that's the program that you build up to. And uh, you're right. Like, who's the fifth man? Or did they make it four on four? Or uh, actually, Wait. who's even the fourth? Right yeah, now? so I'm saying they only have three, right? So you're going to yeah. need somebody to to back them hmm. up. There's going to be someone in the roster that we're forgetting about, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I, I really enjoyed the match. I thought it was a lovely showcase for Silver and Reynolds. Um, regardless of how many times, you know, that team loses, they continue to be beloved by, by this crowd as underdogs. And, you know, I don't know if Tony Khan will ever see like them as their champions, but I think if he ever decided to, this crowd is more than ready, you know, to see Silver and Reynolds as champions. So, uh, we got Daniel Garcia with the big submission win here to continue to establish him as sort of like, you know, your bet, your, 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 your big project coming out of the group, I would say. So very good match. And, um, I really enjoyed this dynamite, John. Uh, John. I, I know you maybe had some criticisms of some of the booking towards the end there, though. 
Yeah, I mean, like overall, though, if I had to like rate it like as an overall show, it was it was definitely a good show. It just there were some questionable things in the second hour, um, but overall, it was still one of the the better dynamites I've probably seen in the last um, couple weeks or so. Yeah, to me, it was just like very action packed and consistently entertaining throughout, and the quality of the wrestling here throughout. I mean, it, it, it's just outstanding. Like it's it's just. It's, it's incredible. And, and the continued teases of like so many things to come in the future, like with whatever they got going on with Bret Hart and the continued ascension of so many like new talents and old talents, you know, like the Hardys suddenly like in two weeks being reinvigorated like that they have is just, I still can't believe like Sting is like just having matches like this. Like it's crazy yeah. to think, but I, I, I love Sting. I really do. But like I hope he doesn't just do this forever. Like he, at some point he needs to, I feel like he needs to just like relax just a little bit. Just, just for our like concern, I feel like. But well, I mean, or or maybe the key to it is just to continue to be paired with you know guys like Darby Allen and you know a private party who who are just who can do the bulk of the work for him, you know. But uh, yeah, it's been working so far. Before we get to feedback, I want to get to a super chat here from Brent Lockman, who sends a two dollars super chat, who says Jeff Hardy tonight. Let's get dangerous. I think that's a reference to my Darkwing Duck shirt. So yes. shout right. out Darkwing Duck. <laughs> what a shirt it is, John. Uh, do you have the feedback thread up? Would you like to go through some of this with me? Sure, I do. You want me to start here? Uh, sure, yeah. Okay. We go to Eddie from Austin who says, A lower stakes event from last week with the Thunder Rosa coronation guaranteed, but a hell of a live event to attend. Okay, so he was in attendance here. Uh, last time AEW was in Cedar Park, we were on our feet chanting cowboy shit for Paige to run in, and this time it was the same. Question, what level of TV deal is it going to take for Post to cover the new Ring of Honor Weekly? Curious, because I have all the faith in the world this will be a must-see product given TK's track record with AEW. Uh, So I guess we can start with that question. What's it going to take for Post to cover Ring of Honor Weekly? Uh, you know, anytime we we decide w- what to add to to our roster of, of coverage here, uh, it, it all depends on audience demand and, you know, how much people want to hear it. And we're talking, you know, like a good section of, of our audience, you know, and that's how we decide whether or not to de- dedicate time to it. Um, so, I mean, of course, this is a conversation I would have to have with, with John to see like whether or not both of us would be involved, but we do have a very growing, like big growing roster of contributors like John Cena right here. So yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, do... I was covering Ring of Honor weekly on Shot in the Dark, but obviously it's going to be on a bigger scale now. So we'll see what they do. Um, mm. He did have a bonus question here, and it's kind of funny that I'm on this because he said, have you guys tried or looked into 2K22 at all? I finished showcase mode after work last night and thought it was awesome. Um, I have been playing it. I haven't been playing it as much as my son. I can just tell you from my son's reaction, uh, it's a great game because he was playing 2K19. He didn't even try 2K20. He just hated it. But something about this game and just like the customization, he must be really loving it because every time I look up, he ha- he's has like Spider-Man fighting Dr. Octopus in a steel cage or something. So he's having a blast. I haven't been able to play it as much as him. Um, but the little that I did play, I did like the showcase mode with Rey Mysterio, which is really cool because you have like the narration from Rey Mysterio and it kind of like it kind of goes in and out from the actual match that he has uh, to the video game. So it's pretty cool, like transition, but um, I'm definitely enjoying it. I can definitely say it's a, it's a big improvement from the last couple of day, uh, games they had. Does your son watch wrestling at all? You know what? You know what? What's funny? The only matches he watches and he's seven years old. Mind everybody listening. The only matches he watches uh, involve either Dragonov and or Walter or Gunther. He loves wow. for some reason. Those are the only <laughs> matches he watches. Like whenever I, he's, I think the first like match he really got into was like the empty arena match from last year. He loved it. And then when he found out they were having a rematch, 
uh, he's like, yeah, I need to watch this. And he literally will be glued to the screen. He doesn't do that for anything. He loves the chops and everything. Um, he loves Gunther and he loves Dragunov. So those are only two wrestlers he watches. Uh, for a seven-year-old, he has tremendous taste. Yes. You know, so you you've been raising him well, well, John. You know, thank you. Um, we go to uh, thank you very much for that feedback. We go to Kate from Montreal who says, even if it wasn't quite on the level of last week, last week week's classic, this was a fun two hours. They definitely seem to be teasing some kind of Bret Hart involvement. And although he has made an appearance before, I feel like that would be huge given the upcoming Owen tournament and Martha's involvement in that. Yes, I didn't even think about that. Yep. Now that Punk has given the universal symbol for I want a belt around my waist, I'm assuming that we're moving towards him in the championship picture for double or nothing. But in the meantime, seems like we might be getting a six-man all-belt on the line for Battle of the Belts with Cole huh. and Red Dragon versus Hangman and the, Jur- and the Jurassic Express. If so, who do you think wins? So Kate at least thinks that there's yeah. a possibility we might get all-belt on the line, and it would be unique for AEW to do. Um, but if so, who do you think wins, John? Um. I think at this stage, I think it's going to stay on Jurassic and, and Hangman. I can't see them. If they're going to do this match, I can't see that being a, a way for them to actually lose the belts. Um, and it's interesting about the whole, like, punk uh, belt around his waist. He When he won the match, he was doing, like, the Hangman new symbol. But, like, Excalibur was like, oh, he's making a reference to the dog collar match. And I'm like, no, he's referencing a Hangman, like a deuce. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why they, like, avoided that. But that was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, if, if this all belts on the line match does happen, I, I can see it definitely staying on a... Page and uh, Jurassic Express. What about you? Well, I can see the tag titles changing. I can't see Page losing the belt. So, um, if they so, do the the all belts on the line, then I don't think you get a title change. But if you do separate matches, then I can't see it. Yeah, unless they do some sort of stipulation where it's like if Jurassic Express gets pinned, only they lose a belt or something. But I don't know. It'd be kind of tricky. I feel like AEW is not going to do like a convoluted rules to a championship match like that, though. No, I, I also think, you know, you still have so much story to be told between Red Dragon and the Bucks that um, to me, like putting like and, and, and the Jurassic Express have done so, so well with it. But, you know, by the time that that t- uh, TV special comes, it, it you know, it might it might have run its course or at least like, you know, might might be time to switch the belt over to Red Dragon. So I could definitely see that happening. We go to Steve from Cambridge. The Julia Hart thing is ridiculously old. So many people have been sprayed since her, and none of them have turned emo. They should drop this. No one barely pays attention to her when she's moping anyways. Announcers barely call attention to it. Time to move on. Really good show from start to finish. It was kind of funny when William Regal entered the ring. He just, like, stepped over Julia Hart. I was like, poor girl. Like, what is going on? have time for this bullshit. Are you kidding me? Ugh. Man, the man the man has seen real darkness, okay? Like and it's been a lot more serious than just getting sprayed in the face with mist. He wasn't moping about it. So um yeah, I mean I get the sense it's more something you they're leaving in the background for now and you know, you we're probably not supposed to really focus on it until, you know, Malachi Black and the and the House of Black start start to take control. All right, final uh and then we go up next to <laughs> Okay. Yeah, this is our last piece of feedback because I can't possibly read the last one. Uh, th- this, okay. this one comes from Bruce who says, I really appreciated how in-ring focused this show was, especially the first hour, and a great Austin paid off that approach and a great Austin crowd. Okay, yeah. A great Austin, Texas crowd paid off that approach with dividends. Yuta is clearly clearly the main focus of the Blackpool Combat Club's efforts. And apologies to Benno, to North American ears, that name does sound badass. 
But Regal's comments about Garrison and Pillman made me realize just how many storytelling possibilities there are with AEW's wave of young talent. Obviously, not everybody is going to join up with Mox and Danielson, but young wrestlers being disparaged by the group for not having Killer Instinct or cockily declaring that they don't need Regal's mentorship could make for some good short-term stories and give up-and-comers a chance to show some extra personality. And of course, Regal's rep as a WWE talent scout makes this seem more legit than most stable recruitment efforts. Apart from Yuta, who would you like to see spend some time under the learning tree? Any dark prospects come to mind, Sino? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I would love to see like a female in there, like Marina Shafir. She's been looking mm-hmm. really great on Dark recently. Like she's been on the feet. Of, I think she's like four and zero. I would put her in there. Uh, Josh Woods, who's the current Ring of Honor Pure Champion, has been appearing on Dark. I would love to see somebody like him be paired up with um the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, there's a lot of people like uh yeah, those two stand up like the most to me. I think right now. What about Lee Moriarty, somebody that Brian named dropped in that yeah, Lee Mor- yeah, for sure. Lee Moriarty stands out. Um, I would have said Garcia, but obviously that's that's not happening for now, at least. Um, too much of a good thing, I think. Yeah. And they're all kind of too similar for one stable, aren't they? For sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think they they could use a giant, you know, like a like a super heavyweight, you know, who might fit within that that team. Hmm, I'm trying to think somebody. Yeah, I mean, Josh Woods has some height to him. I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't think of anybody else that's like really big um, that can fit like that. But yeah, I'm sure there's somebody out there. And that does it for feedback. Um, John Cena, I can't thank you enough. And I'm sure John Pollock cannot thank you enough for stepping in literally last second here. And I think doing a great job, as always, on all of your podcasts. Where can people hear more of you? Where can they see and read more of your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my social media is CinoEvil, C-N-O-E-V-I-L, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me. Um, Shot in the Dark every Wednesday on the Up Next podcast feed, where 15 minutes or less, I talk about AW Dark, Elevation, NXT UK, uh, Level Up, um, so many shows. Then obviously my weekly reports on AW, as well as um, uh, uh, AW and MLW as well. And then I just recorded a show today, actually, with um, Davey and Braden of the BDE. We did uh, their Best Match Ever series. We actually ran down through uh, 205 Live. Now that 205 Live is no more, we ran down some of the best matches in 205 Live history. So that should be up, uh, I want to say, later on this week. So definitely check that out. Uh, some hidden gems in there that I feel like people didn't really watch at the like the later years of 205 Live that really stand out. So uh, definitely give that a listen. If you are not a Patreon, please join uh, patreon.com slash podcast. And uh, for those of you who are patrons of Post Wrestling, I will be back tomorrow with WH Park for the latest edition of MCU Later. We will be giving a primer for everybody for Moon Knight. How uh, excited are you, John, for Moon Knight? I'm really excited. Like, I keep seeing these, like, posts about, like, advanced, like, screeners for Moon Knight. I'm not, like, clicking on it. But, like, from the little that I see, I hear nothing but good things about it. So I'm really looking forward to it. I've been reading a lot of Moon Knight comics, actually. So I'm actually interested in this, um this uh primer that you and wh are doing so maybe i can like listen to something i haven't listened to already i, I mean uh recently i haven't read, read already but so far i'm just like hearing like learning a little bit about the history of moon knight it's really making me look forward to this show i'm going completely cold you know i'm just seeing like i i i, I kind of feel like i made a mistake with like no way home and reading way too much about it and learning way too much about it and that i feel like a lot of the surprise was kind of taken away from me so I'm going to let WH do that and catch me up as much as, uh, you know, he's able to and, and, and our odd, entire audience at the same time. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, John ho- will hopefully be back with me tomorrow for tomorrow's daily news update. And uh, we wish his internet the best, of course. So uh, thank you, Sino, again. And thank you, everybody in the chat room. Until tomorrow, see you later. <laughs>